Um, I was asked to um, talk about some work that we've done at the University of Wolverhampton that's looked um, at a number of different things. It's very practical in orientation. Um, and we were asked to consider um, a number of things when we, we started this research. So first of all, um, we wanted to provide a framework for a better understanding of our, our lecturing staff about what goes on in their, their practice and how they can improve their practice. Um, it, it fell um, under an agenda um, where, um, or it fell in the background where the University of Wolverhampton was very focused on enhancing its um, attainment student success and also very aware of a number of attainment gaps and in particular the attainment gap between our black and ethnic minority students. So what I'm going to do is to give a brief background um, of what underpinned uh, the, the, um, our research, but contextualise it into the, the university context. Um, I'm going to provide a brief background and overview of three research programmes that will allow me to talk about this particular topic at a number of different levels. So if we draw on Brofenbrenner and the eco-behavioural um, circles, we know that um, the individual um, is affected by a number of different influences. So um, the macro level, which is their particular experience, sorry, the micro level, which is their particular experience, the meso system, which is also the university um, in which they operate, the exo system, which is the organisational influences such as policy um, and um, also strategy, and then also the macro system, which is the overall cultural values that also affect um, all of those different levels. There's an interplay between those levels. So this will allow me to kind of look at the interplay um, of the individual in the classroom and the, 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 the lecturer and the student at all those different levels. I'm also going to briefly overview a methodological approach that we used um, in exploring this, the, um, our original piece of research, which was around disparities in student attainment, that draws heavily on a consensus-oriented approach. Um, but we've also used this methodology um, further in the evaluation of, of the other two projects that I'm going to also refer to. And I'm going to then obviously tell you a little bit about what we found. I'm going to talk on very, very um, sort of top key level um, messages, but there was um, a variety of different voices um, around those um, those messages um, that related to um, gender, that related to ethnicity and various eth ethnicity groups. Um, so, um, just to put um, the work into context, the University of Wolverhampton is a post-92 university. We've got a 180-year history, and we've got 18 schools housed with four faculties. Um, we are a widening participation university, and we're very proud of that. Um, we have about 40% of our students are part-time students, 40% um, of our students are mature students. We have a high proportion of students from, um, who are first in family that come to the University of Wolverhampton, and a large percentage of our students actually um, live at home and travel into university commuter students and a large proportion of those students will travel from within a 25 mile radius. 
We have a very diverse student body, as I've already said. We have mature students, we have part-time students, but we also have 37% of our, our students, UK-born students from minority backgrounds. Within that 37%, um, there's a, a, a wide range of ethnicities. Um, and when we add in our international students to that, that figure, we actually have a 50-50 student mix. Um, we've had a vice chancellor change in the last three years, which has been quite facilitative in this work. So we now have Jeff Leo as our vice chancellor, who's built his career on equity and um, educational experience, and that's now become um, a, a very big um, key. Um, element to all of the work that, that's carried out in the university and um, is now um, work, we're now working towards ensuring that that is at the heart of everything that we do within the university um, which is um, also encapsulated um, in our recent rebranding of the university as the University of Opportunity. So our background, um, the, the, as I said, the, the, the programme of work um, is very, very practically based. Um, we're, um, I'm going to talk about three research programmes, the disparities in student attainment. Um, what we took from that uh, programme into a What Works programme and how we're then trying to embed that strategically through a HEA strategic enhancement programme. We've um, underpinned the research and been mindful of research um, throughout the process. Um, and we've also drawn on in previous institutional research that, that's been carried out. Um, what we're very mindful of in, in, in the, the literature that we've drawn from is um, themes around retention, student success, where there's been um, a, a sector level understanding of um, disparities in student attainment, and also how a sense of belongingness might relate to campus issues. So. <clears throat> Our disparities in student attainment programme. Just to briefly overview what it was that we were we were aiming to do with this research, is there were three there were four streams of research that we're looking at. First of all, we wanted to identify a model um, where there was no disparity in student um, attainment and highlight the good practice that goes on in the university, learn from that good practice. We also wanted to know what students and lecturers said about the attainment gap, why it existed, what their thoughts were about it. And we wanted to provide um, a set of resources um, that would allow um, staff to be able to make changes to their practice. So we, um, we engaged staff to um, take some of our findings um, and to embed those um, into learning and um, into action research cycles um, to have a look at what it was that, that actually made a difference on the attainment gap. Um, and also um, there was a, um, a stream that, that where we were disseminating good practice at a much wider level or hoped to disseminate good practice at a much wider level. The project, as I've said, um, um, has a number of um, uh, practice theoretical and methodological um, streams as well that kind of run alongside this and we implemented a number of different approaches um, both questionnaire based um, interview based 
um, and utilising the, the consensus methodology, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit more depth in, in, in a little while. Our What Works programme, um, the What Works programme is the phase two of the national programme. It um, involves 12 universities across the UK and there's a focus on making changes, um, pedagogic changes and strategic changes that, that impact on retention, success and belonging. The reasons why this was um, um, thought to be a useful sector idea was, um, as you're aware, 8% of students think about leaving university in their first year, actually leave university in their th first year, but a lot more students actually think about leaving. Um, and we wanted to look at how we might um, reduce that, that, that number of, of students, enhance retention. Um, and the What Works programme asked people to think about um, either active learning interventions, um, interventions that, I'm just aware that I'm squeaking, interventions that consider uh, co-curricular activity or interventions that look at induction processes. We decided to take some of our work through um, from the Works programme that looked at assignment processes. Um, and again, I'll talk about those. Um, we, we have three pilot areas and I'll talk about that in more depth in a little bit later. And then our strategic enhancement programme um, is um, taking some findings that we found from the What Works programme, um, as well as the much wider picture that we found from DISA and, uh, as well, into ways of being able to um, implement and embed at a more strategic level. We've learned lessons from uh, Derby University, who took some of the ideas that we had as part of the, 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 the DISA project, um, and they actually implemented those ideas both bottom up, top down, very strategic approach, and they've had some really fabulous um, um, results, and they've reduced their attainment gap by half in the same time as we've reduced our attainment gap, gap by a quarter. So um, we've um, we've learned some lessons from them, which we really want to implement through through this process. Um, so we were aware of that. Um, there's quite a lot of various. Research that's going on in the university. There are, um, there's there's various ideas um, um, in terms of strategy and policy change that are that are currently ongoing at the moment. There's our learning and teaching development programmes, um, and there's also um, sort of faculty um, faculty work that's going on. But none of those entities seem to talk to each other, and we're looking at ways of being able to increase the the dialogue between all of those aspects. And on a very short term goal um, as part of this project, we want to look um, in more in depth at the, the role of student belonging in, in student success and whether having a home um, within the organisation, whether you, you, know, you have the school of, of, of art or the school of law and that as a student that is your place to go, whether that has an impact on, on student success and student sense of belonging. Talk about our methodological approaches. When we, um, or our methodology that we we employed, when when we um, started this work, we were very very mindful um, of the fact that we were a group of um, academic developers um, and academics who were quite removed from the experience of, of our undergraduate population. Um, and 
that there was issues of power and issues of interpretation that would make it very, very difficult for us to talk to students about very sensitive issues. And we felt that we wanted to provide a, a method of, of, of collecting data that would empower students within that process. So um, we were um, mindful that we, we wanted to um, work with students as co-creators in the research process. We were also very mindful of um, how we defined people within that process. Um, and we were aware that um, how you craft a research relationship has a bearing on, on, on what you find. So um, these um, three answers, these three particular quotes here um, underpins a lot of um, the decisions we made around how, how we, um, how we um, went on to um, collect our data and the methods that we used. Um, and we also wanted to do something that was beyond the interview. Um, but we were also mindful that the interview was an, an encounter um, and an active and communicative assembly. So uh, we wanted to ensure that we um, not only um, engaged students in that process, but we also educated them and empowered them through the process as well. So what we did was we drew on um, a consensus-oriented decision-making approach um, that has five different um, five different frameworks, sort of seven different stages, and reduce those to five in, in our particular process. And what we wanted to do was find ways of educating students so that we could engage them fully and ensure that they were, they were knowledgeable about not only um, what was going on within their university, what was going on within other universities, but also what was going on within in the sector. A lot of our students were unaware that there was an attainment gap. <coughs> So um, we felt that it was really, really important to ensure that they truly understood um, what, what the picture was before we started to ask them about their opinions of this. Um, and we also wanted to um, identify areas that were key concerns for them. So um, we wanted to make um, the environment safe in which for them to be able... Sorry. Sorry, no, it's not your fault at all. I'm not too sure if I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Sorry. Thank you so much. That's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of. I've only just got my voice back, so it's a little croaky. So I do apologise. Um. So, um, as part of. Forgotten where I was. So, well, um, we we wanted to introduce students to the problem and get them to explore the research. And in order to do that, we needed to educate them about that. So we informed the participants about. Turned it off now, Rob. Okay. We wanted um, to inform participants about the research. We also wanted to create a safe space in which students felt confident in which they could um, be, they, they were listened to, they were heard and, and that their, their voice was taken seriously. Um, and 
we um, we also wanted to um, engage students in the process, so they became um, they became the people who were educating us about the issue. And beyond that, we wanted to empower them to um, to take control of the session and start to tell us, give us direction, um, ways of being able to provide solutions and what was important with it, the most important aspects of those solutions. Um, so this process not only um, engendered opinion, but also um, tried to engage students in being able to provide solutions. So we did that in a number of different ways. And this, this is just one example of um, how we, we sort of tried to reduce tensions, but also um, enhance trust. So we started off as an icebreaker, just engaging students in, in, a, in a process of reflective play. So we got people to play snakes and ladders. Sounds a bit daft. Glynis, um, Glynis Cousins, who I was working with at the time when I suggested this, went white and um, really pale and started to shake and really didn't think it was going to work but kind of gave me the space to play with it. So um, what, I want, what, what the aim was, um, was to try and get students to talk about issues um, in a way that was quite, in a fun way, that, that wasn't challenging in the first instance, to start to try and build up some of the confidence before we went into some of that more in-depth stuff about what is this, what does this mean to you, why do you think that is, um, and, and to delve more deeply into some of the more um, personal and emotive and effective areas that we needed to delve into. So we got them to play snakes and ladders, and when they went up a ladder they told us that something that helped them, that was beneficial, that was supportive. And when they went down the stake, they told us stuff about what wasn't, wasn't helpful, which was unhelpful. And you know, we deliberately designed this board in three colour bands. Um, the first um, relates to level four, level five, level six. And you'll notice there are snakes that kind of go from level six to level four, and level four to level level 5 to level 4 and level 6 to level 4 and so on and ladders that do the same um, and we wanted to know if they went to Palazzo um, that was within their um, within their year back within the year band we wanted to know something that would help them um, to develop within the year if it went beyond the year band we wanted to, to know something that had underpinned their learning at different levels so we had level 4, level 5 and level 6 students involved in, in this particular research. And it, thank goodness, worked because um, it relaxed students um, and we theorised that this was, it took them back to a safe space and gave um, an unconscious message that the, the research environment, the, the half a day that they were going to spend with us exploring these issues um, was actually a safe space. Um, and it wasn't a critical space, it, as in that we weren't going to criticise them in any way. Any what they had to say was of value, and we we not only respected, we we not only understood that, but we would respect it, and we respected their their position as stakeholders within within the solution. So um, to talk about what we found. Um, 
first of all with with um, Dissa. Thought I'd change that slide actually, and have it. It should actually say academic. Um, we found that um, there were four areas that heavily influenced um, students' attainment: um, students' perceptions of success, and students' perceptions of um, their barriers to success. And these were also four areas that lecturers. Um, felt were important and student success and barriers to student success. Um, the reason why we um, depicted this as a, a jigsaw puzzle is th that these are these factors interplay. You can't look at one without the without the influence of the others. But um, relationships were the most important factor. Um, of that particular, of, of this, this particular finding. It was the one, the one thing that came out over and over and over again was the importance of the learning relationship and how facilitative or disabling it could be. So I'm going to just quickly run through the top line um, findings from each of these areas, but also talk about the role of relationship within each of these. So... First of all, um, learning relationships um, was something that both lecturers and students said was very, very important. Um, they, um, and the quality of the learning relationship, um, both lecturers and students felt impacted on, on student attainment. Um, but we started to notice that when we looked more deeply into how lecturers and how students um, defined learning relationships, that they defined them very, very differently. So um, students um, talked about um, learning relationships in ways that, <coughs> excuse me, um, that they were um, an opportunity to, to, to communicate, for respect to be shown, um, and that um, it was um, it was a two-way um, approach. So you communicated with the lecturer, the lecturer communicated with you. The respect was shown, and um, it was an integrative experience. Lecturers tended to talk about their role within that process rather than the the interaction, and how they set up a situation in which. Um, and they defined the learning relationship in the way that they set up um, the opportunity for students to interact with each other, the opportunity for students to show respect to each other, and the opportunity um, for students to demonstrate current and prior learning. Um, students also told us that they appreciated facilitative lecturers. So when we started to look at um, what it was that students felt helped f um, enhance their learning experience and contributed to a good learning relationship and also contributed um, what students felt contributed to their success. These were the key themes that came out over and over again. That lecturers were about lecturers who were enthusiastic, enthusiastic about their topic but also enthusiastic about teaching them. Lecturers who were good communicators that not only communicated um, the, the knowledge of the lecture really, really well, 
well, but also communicated um, things that are very important to the students, such as the assignment brief and the, assign the assignment, um, what, what was needed for them to be successful within an assignment. Um, very, very importantly, students felt that lecturers who treated them as an individual didn't see them as a group, either as um, a group of um, history students or a group of... Excuse me, my voice is going... <coughs> or a group of female students or a group of ex-students, but somebody who saw them as an individual as an individual with a unit who was a unit of potential was really important. And students also told us that they, they really, really appreciated invitational lectures. So those were the people who encouraged the discourse, encouraged students to ask questions, encouraged students to talk to them, encouraged students to be enthusiastic about the, the, the subject area in which they worked in, or were, were <coughs> they were they were learning it. Sorry. Um, and we also found when we spoke to students who'd been successful, um, they all talked about an incident or incidents where a lecturer had acted as an interlocutor, that they'd introduced them to the concept of their own success, a discourse about their own, their own potential to be, to, to be successful. Now, in, in lots of cases, this was done on a one-to-one -one level, that tap on the shoulder and said, did you know that you're good? Did you know that you could get a first? Because a lot of our students often don't think in those terms. Um, they often don't think um, in, in terms of their, their degree outcomes. Um, and often don't really understand the degree classification system. So the idea that they could get first or they could get 2-1 was, was in some cases a new concept or something that they dreamed about but nobody had actually verbalised for them and, and given them the confidence that they could do that. So that tap on the shoulder um, helped. But also um, we had a number of different um, scenarios where students talked about lecturers acting as interlocutors within the classroom environment and would you know, say things like, for instance, um, a law lecturer who talked about uh, various cases and would say, and when you are barristers and when you are solicitors, you will use this information in this way. So there was this underlying um, communication of uh, belief, success, that you, are, that you have the potential to be successful and you have the potential to go on to be a barrister and to be a lawyer. Or we also, um, unsurprisingly, um, found some issues around pedagogy that both students and lecturers found that were um, either facilitative or barriers to um, to uh, learning to to success, but also um, play a part in learning relationships. Not surprisingly, um, assignment briefs. Um, was a, a, an issue, assignments unpacking, some general feedback in class. Um, so, um, 
this, the, the whole concept of assignments be, became a big issue for students. And I'm going to talk a little bit more in depth when I talk about the What Works programme around this. But it became a key barrier. Where students couldn't understand the assignment brief, where students um, couldn't understand um, aspects of the assignment brief or really understand um, what it was that they, they wanted to do, where lecturers um, had unpacked in a class and it, it had been a didactic experience and they hadn't really felt confident to put their hand up. It became a massive, thank you, a massive barrier um, to, to success and also negatively impacts on learning relationships. Um, and we, um, as part of our, our, our research programme, as, as I said earlier, we looked at um, appreciative pedagogy, so we, in, in, or pedagogy is an appreciative approach, um, where we looked at where there wasn't an attainment gap in the university, where modules didn't have um, differences, and we looked at what it was that those... Um, the, the pedagogic approaches that those lecturers were implementing. And what we found there was um, a key overlap between um, what students had identified as being um, aspects of uh, facilitative practice for them, things that really helped them succeed, things that really helped them um, have um, a, a good two-way relationship with their lecturers came out in the pedagogic approaches of, of, of the staff. So the pedagogy was inclusive and was respective of students' prior learning and recognised students as individuals. And this was obviously demonstrated in a myriad of different ways, but these were the key three areas. And as, as you can see, as we said earlier, that kind of mirrors, um, matches, um, the uh, things that students really appreciate in lectures. So this started to um, started some thinking around um, psychological contract and what it is that students expect from the university, expect from their lecturers, and but isn't that is unconscious, that isn't verbalised, um, and how um, and if I kind of take a step back and, and, and kind of, do, do you all know what psychological contract is? Because I'm a psychologist and I can talk in these ways and expect everybody else to understand. Psychological contract is um, the unspoken rules of engagement that we often have with our employer or people that we work closely with, um, that when they're, they're um, violated in any way cause some form of harm now that can be quite an emotional harm but can then impact negatively on retention can impact negatively on uh, engagement, can impact negatively on productivity so we started to look at you know if if, if, if um, these things are in place and students are doing really, really well. And these are the, are the things that students are telling us are really important to their success. Are these the things that students are expecting from, from um, our teaching staff? And if those aren't in place, is that causing a barrier um, to, to good learning relationships? Um, we also um, found some social... Socio, I can never say psychosocial, psychosocial, sorry, um, issues that were important. 
Students talked about um, their relationship not only with their lecturers, but that they had a relationship with the university at a variety of different levels. Um, they talked about their relationships um, with um, the university as a whole and um, its place in their learning um, experience, some of the cultures and subcultures of the university and how that was either facilitative or in, or in always impeding their process, but also um, ways in which um, this sense of belonging that students had impacted on their success, but also their engagement with their subjects and also their, whether or not they, they, were just, they just considered staying or going. So um, one of the quotes um, in, in the, in, in, from from our data collection, was a student talking about um, a visit to a particular part of the university. And she said that she was really, she, it was, it, when she was in her first year at level one, she was really nervous, she didn't really know what it was that she was supposed to be doing and whether she was in the right place and doing the right thing. Um, and she went to this particular part of the university to ask for advice and the person on the desk ignored them when she spoke. She pretended that she couldn't hear her, carried on typing. Um, and she, she said, you know, I just thought, why do I bother? Um, why am I here? I, and it, it compounded that, that feeling of, am I in the right place? Am I, uh, you know, doing the right thing at the right time? We also looked. Um, so um, we've also looked at aspiration raising and the the, um, the importance that has um, on student success. And Gurnam Singh um, from Coventry University, um, Coventry were our co-partners in this research. Devised an approach, um, an in-class approach that looked at ways of looking at students' own inter intellectuality and raising their understanding of, of what it was that they brought to university and how that um, may not be um, more the traditional um, set of cultural competencies that would be expected within a university environment, but it was equal to and as, as important because it came from their own cultural background, their own cultural understandings, um, and tried to raise students' understanding of their own intellectuality within the classroom. And that had some um, very good positive feedback. But we also found that um, one of the, the issues... Um, for, for particularly around um, the, 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 the attainment gap and differences in student experience as a result of ethnicity was a, a fear of um, stereotyped threat. The, the idea that students were going to be viewed as a particular stereotype and in a particular way. And kind of drawing on Jacqueline's findings from um, her work in 2012, we know that there, there, there is a, a, a folk pedagogy that, um, that students from minority backgrounds are 2 two students and students kind of feared that they were, um, there, was, there was a negative stereotype attached to them 
Um, and if they felt this was palpable, then they wouldn't make the approaches to, to lecturers, even if the lecturers were, were facilitative and encouraging. Um, they, they would um, not make those connections and develop those learning relationships as a result. Um, we also found within our research that um, students didn't really understand the rules of academic engagement with higher education. They um, um, at the, I'm just trying to unpick what I know now and what I knew then. Um, they they didn't really understand the language that we used in in higher education. Um, they didn't understand the importance of attending lectures and seminars and why it was important that, that they attended. They didn't really know how to access help. They didn't really understand the importance of learning relationships, um, but also not always knew that these were appropriate um, and that they were crucial to success or had the social confidence in which to be able to facilitate these relationships and develop them. Um, students also told us that they didn't really understand the degree classification system and this was a little bit shocking for us um, and this was brought home to me again in, in, in another piece of work I was doing at the university <coughs> but students didn't understand the concept of a good degree that a first or a two one meant that um, you could access um, graduate level jobs they didn't understand the difference between the various classifications and what they meant um, and um, they weren't aware of the impact of, um, <clears throat> of not having a, a good degree or that it was important to try and aim for a good degree. So we took some of um, what we found from the disparities in student attainment around the um, around assignment briefs and we took them into um, a What Works programme. And whilst on the surface this whilst on the surface this looks to be um, a, a, an evaluation of a learning and teaching intervention, it has actually told us quite a bit um, around um, student sense of belongingness, which is part of which relationships are part of, but also some more in-depth understanding of how uh, pedagogic intervention and um, some of our pedagogic practices can help encourage a learning relationship. So, <clears throat> um, just, draw, just going back a little bit to some of the findings from the DISA programme, um, when we were talking to students about um, about assignments and assessment periods. They told us that they spent more time trying to interpret the assignment brief than actually doing the assignment, which was quite worrying. When they didn't have a very good pedagog uh, learning relationship um, with the lecturers, they would actually turn to their peers for advice. Now, this is, this is an issue if everybody has a misunderstanding um, of an assignment brief, that then gets spread around. Or um, if one group of people have misunderstood something, you've then got the, these two competing ideas and then the students are in the middle of this trying to figure out which group are right. Um, and a lot of our students struggled with, assi with assignment anxiety and as a result of that would often make a decision not to submit 
and to um, play, the, play the game so they could um, have a little bit more time to think about this and submit it as, as um, resubmit on a recall, on a, on, a, on, a, on a retrieval. And okay, they wouldn't get anything more than a, um, you know, a, a pass, but it gave them more time to think about it. So they were quite strategic about things when they became quite stressed. And Christina Hull, we also drew on Christina Hull Richardson's research um, that looked, um, which was a qualitative study, looking at um, why sh um, around students' um, beliefs and opinions of, of the assessment process. Um, and she identified that there's uh, that students often felt that there was a hidden question, that assignment briefs weren't transparent. And there was a hidden question or a hidden set of requirements within an assignment brief that their job was to try and unpick them. That what was on the surface wasn't necessarily what they were being asked to do and we were trying to trip them up. Um, so they quite often approached academic staff to ask questions about the assignments and they quite often asked the same question to get back and ask it over and over again and of course lecturing staff started to get annoyed with this and frustrated and this, this, this then led to um, what Christina um, calls the pedagogic battlefield between students, it became an issue, students were trying to find this information, lecturers thought they'd already made it quite clear, students think, think that the lecturers are hiding stuff that's already hidden in the assignment brief and so it, it goes round in a, in a circle. So um, our um, What Works programme um, drew on some principles that we um, pulled out of some research from the DISA project around clarity of assignment briefs to try and make our assignment briefs more accessible and more understandable. Um, and also provided um, um, a process for, for lecturers to unpack in class that actually flipped the responsibility. So it wasn't a, um, a didactic um, um, experience. Students took control of this process and where possible we used to flip classroom technique. Um, some people didn't feel that that was appropriate with level 4 students because they thought it might freak them out a little bit but certainly it's appropriate at level 5 and level 6. Um, so we asked them to use these three principles in whichever way they felt was, was appropriate and we've had a number of different ways of doing this but the students discuss the assignment brief in, in groups they feedback that assignment that their understanding of, the, of what the assignment brief is asking them to do not how they're going to do it but what they're being asked to do so that in, um, we're not encouraging collusion um, and um, areas where students wanted to ask questions about, they put it onto a post-it note and put it on the wall so it became anonymous. Um, and through those, the students would then have discussions between each other about the understanding of the assignment brief. It raised areas where lecturers thought students understood things that they didn't. So students, lecturers had information to take away for the next iteration of that assignment brief. Um, students um, got involved in a discourse with their colleagues about the assignment brief but also a discourse with their lecturer about the assignment brief so the idea was that we'd start to help generate that facilitative learning relationship and then lecturers would discuss what was misunderstood or, or rectify any misunderstandings um, and we'd also, we've also encouraged people to you know, put 
the questions from the, 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 the post-it notes onto frequently asked questions in our VLE, so that you know it becomes a resource for, for other students too. Um, in order to gain feedback, um, we used the, the consensus-oriented research approach again. So um, we wanted um, we wanted students to feel safe. Um, to be able to tell us what wasn't working, why it worked, why it didn't work, how we could change and what was important to change. So we engaged them as, as co-creators of curriculum at this particular point through this process. Now, um, these um, sort of comments um, focus very much on a thematic analysis of the data that, that, we, um, that, that we collected. Um, and kind of tell us a little bit about some of the emotional aspects and confidence aspects um, that, that uh, for, for evaluation purposes, were very useful to us, but didn't tell us a lot about the learning relationship. And in order to kind of understand that a little bit better, we went back to the data, and we've only just started this process, but we're now looking at, at, the, at, at this data with, through a lens of discourse analysis. And what that's telling us now is um, this type of approach reduces the gap between lecturers and students that perception of, of, of there being a distance and helps create a closer relationship and it opens discourses um, that there is very much an effective aspect um, involved in um, learning relationships that um, students appreciate and respect when it's present but feel the loss of when it's not, and can become quite emotional about it. Um, they, and when it's not present, they interpret it in ways of that the judgment is being passed on them. So they're being judged as either lacking, not having potential, or being seen as a stereotype. Um, and again, this is encapsulated by a lack of respect. Um, and what we heard over and over again in, 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 in our evaluation of this process <laughs> were students talking about, um, we don't want to be spoon-fed, we don't want to be spoon-fed. This, this concept of being spoon-fed, they knew the language, they'd heard it being said, and they were quite upset over it. Um, so that, I think that is where they, the, this concept of being seen as a, an homogenous group that's lacking potential kind of comes from. Um, but we need to do a lot more analysis around this to be able to unpick this, this further. Um, again, just, just one story um, that I particularly like. Uh, during our evaluation, um, one, of, one of the boys um, sat at the back of the group, said very little throughout. And then right at the very end, just as I said, well, okay, um, should, we, should we kind of close this down? So I just want to say something. So, um, I was going to jack it all in, um, but now I'm going to stay. No, um, for those of you who aren't from the West Midlands, jack it in means I'm going to leave the course. <laughs> um, but he, he, he went on to explain that um, he had a number of issues that had been going on around um, 
around his experience at university had financial issues, he'd got parents who didn't really understand um, higher education, there's been a lot of pressure put on him to continue working and to do his degree and he wasn't finding the time, he wasn't finding the space to be able to engage in his assignments and, and the level of study he felt was necessary and he kind of felt that you know he'd got to do this assignment and that was the straw that was going to break the donkey's back for him. And one of his friends had said to him, come along, to, come, come to the lecture, just come to the lecture, he's going to do that unpacking thing again and, um, and, and you'll know how to do the assignment then, so at least you can do that and pull it in. Um, so he came along and he, he, he did the unpacking session and he said he left feeling that he knew how to do what he needed to do and that took a burden off him, um, that he could, you know, he, he knew that very quickly he could find the resources he needed to do. <coughs> Um, to be able to complete the assignment and he did stay and he did submit um, and he did complete the, 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 his, his level 4 course um, and he got 55% so you know he, was, he did okay um, but if I just go back slightly what that also tells us about learning relationships is that this particular approach can help um, build bridges rebuild bridges where there's been some sort of fracture in a learning relationship. And it might be a very small step, but it, it is a stepping stone um, to help building relationships and helping students feel um, that, that there is a dialogue and a support system there. Again, these are, um, these are some quotes from our, our staff. And again, these, are, these quotes are framed within the... the um, framed in the fact that we were, we were um, evaluating the impact on practice. Um, but what I quite like about this comment is that it reduced the number of SAMs, which are our, our personal tutor appointment system. Um, it it re reduced the amount of people that were coming just to ask questions about um, you know, what does this mean, how do I do that, how, I'm sorry that it isn't very big. Um, what is it you're asking me to do? And increase the number of people coming to, to, to the lecturers to talk about um, their assignment, to talk about the subject, to talk about the topic, and to have an intellectual conversation and debate. So it was enhancing and um, generating greater opportunity for lecturers to engage in a learning relationship rather than um, a transactional relationship. Um, and this has the potential to then become transformative. Um, and also, um, it also highlights that um, our lecturers kind of expect our students to understand things that they don't. And it was eye-opening for, for a lot of the lecturers. Things that they assumed that the students understood and they didn't. And if, if lecturers, if we go back to what Christina Howell Richardson was talking about in this pedagogic battlefield, if lecturers think the students understand them, the students aren't understanding them and asking those questions again, we've got that, that cycle going on that creates um, a distancing of the learning relationship. This is just um, some very um, rough data analysis around um, the, our first year evaluation um, and just that in our first year we noticed that there was an increase in 50% grades a significant increase in our 70% grades and a, a significant reduction um, in our non-submissions just very mindful that I've got one more 
very quickly to talk about um, our um, enhancement programme. Um, as part of the What Works programme, we also looked at, at sense of belonging in the organisation. And um, we started to notice that there was distinct differences between um, the, the sense perceived belonging um, of various groups. Now, this is very much a straws in the wind analysis, as Manchuk calls it, because we, um, we, at Wolverhampton, we've only got 109 people um, at the moment involved um, in, in this, this particular part of the project. And we're using questionnaire data. Um, we're using a, a quantitative um, approach. And we know that we need to go on and we need to look at this in more depth. But um, what, we've, what we found at the moment um, is that there is a, a difference in perception between uh, BME students and their white counterparts and their perceptions of their own engagement and their self-confidence. Our BME students' self-perceptions of engagement and self-confidence um, are actually higher than our white students. So you'd think they'd have a much more um, embedded sense of belonging. Unfortunately, they don't. They have a lower sense of belonging. And, and although it's not... Ex um, because Mant says this is a, a straws in the wind analysis, it's not all that useful to compare to the, the wider data set collected as part of the Waterworks programme. But I have looked at it, and our gaps are much wider. Um, we've noticed that this difference is apparent at pre-entry. So we, we test our students. Test is a horrible word, I know. But we, we give them the questionnaire bef uh, in their first week when they, they first come to university. It's evident then. We, we also um, put the, the questionnaire out again just before Christmas. It's still evident then. Um, and um, we put it out again before Easter. And it's evident then. We've also just started as part of the What Works programme to collect data going into level five, and um, that data's only just been collected, but from eyeballing the data, it, that, that looks like it might be present, <coughs> still present. Um, last year, this highlighted um, the need for us to look at this in more depth. Um, so I ran around the place stamping my feet and waving my arms in the air and shouting that we needed to do um, a university-wide um, belongingness study. Um, okay, so we did. Um, and um, I've, of those not university-wide, I've, I've got somewhere in the region of a thousand questionnaires. And again, this is very, very sort of... Um, very um, early data analysis, but there is um, a greater, there appears to be a greater sense of belonging um, based at our smaller campuses and with students who have a home building, um, which m means that we need to look in depth uh, at some of those issues in qualitative and our, in, in our qualitative interviews. And also, this ethnicity difference seems to be present at level four, level five, and level six, and in particular, seems to be more evident in our males from, from black backgrounds. So again, that needs to be explored in more depth. So um, those are the, the project teams that have helped provide all of the data that I've been talking about, and there's 
Oops, sorry. <laughs> I through that too quickly. But there is a, um, uh, some of the, the data, some of the, the, the sector level research that we've drawn on there. Thank you.